Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where writers are sitting around drinking tasty beverages and talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. There will be rants and raves and opinions that do not agree but are lovingly delivered. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your peanut gallery today is made up of David Welsh, John Schmidt, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 151, The Art and Business of Writing with Chris Jones. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. I am so delighted to have you. I have enjoyed your podcast. Um, it, it is the art and business of writing out there in podcast land. You had 100 episodes, but you stopped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I felt the need to take a hiatus. I I, uh, I recently started a brand new job. And so with starting a new job comes the learning curve of kind of getting back in there and learning all that. One and two, I have a podcast that I have to do there. So I was like, I had to wait, will I continue doing this? Do I need to focus on building that podcast up? So I started working on that podcast right now. And I mean, maybe I'll stay away forever. Maybe I won't. I don't know. But yeah, it, it's, it was kind of a transition time. And I didn't want to cheat my audience with gaps because I had done that before and I didn't want to do that again. So I was like, okay, we'll stop at a nice crisp 100. And then if we pick up again, we pick up again. If not, you will find me online doing similar things. It's cool because you do so much. I mean, I love that you have written books of your own, that you have co-written books. And frankly, I think podcaster and journalism is its own writing as well. So how did you get started in all of this? What's your background like? So my background is uh, I have a degree in art. That's where I began. And that, that's kind of a funny story because I um, when I graduated high school, I hated school, like just to no end. I was done. I couldn't believe it was over. And I was excited just to go make money. I was like, you know, I'm just gonna work a couple of jobs and just make a lot of money and have a lot of fun for the next couple of years. And my mom was like, not thrilled about that idea. And so she's like, yeah, you need to figure something out. You got to get moving. And I was like, oh, come on, man, let me just work. And so lo and behold, I get injured. You know, I was I had a slight injury playing sports and then I fully blow out my knee at work. And so my mom was like, hey, so talk to me about college now. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you've got to be kidding. I, I was like, fine, just take me to school. I'll enroll myself and then we'll get started. And I found that I just absolutely love learning on a college level more than I did the high school level. It was kind of like a choose your own adventure book. I can do whatever I wanted to do. So I ended up uh, getting with a teacher who really cultivated my creative talent because I was going to study education. She's like, no, don't be a teacher. Go be an artist. And so that's what I did. I went and got a degree in design. Uh, and then my Curiosity got peaked when I worked with a copywriter in a marketing uh, in the marketing department of a college. And then from there, I went to the newspaper. And when I got to the newspaper, that's when it all took off because uh, I worked for the newspaper for several months and they had this job paste up board kind of dating when my start when my start date for the newspaper was 2000. They had this job paste up board and every day they paste up the sports writer job. And I could not believe that nobody wanted to write sports. I'm like, how can anyone not like to write sports? That's all I grew up on. I grew up on newspapers and sports. And so I asked if I could work that job because, of course, I worked the day shift as a designer. Sports is a night shift job. They gave me an opportunity. And then when I came back to the uh, newsroom on Monday, there was a desk. Um, sorry, there was a, um, a note on my desk from my publishers that he said, I need to see you, basically. And I was like, oh, man, I must have bombed on that story Friday. They put me on. So I went to see him and he said, we're moving you all the way out of art. We're putting you in sports. How does that sound? I'm like okay, let's do it. And that, that was the start of the writing. So I got to ask, which sport first caught your interest? Because we know Jeannie knows it's hockey. Well, why was it hockey? I mean, what did you really? 
the first sport that really caught my eye was football. I grew up, I grew up because my parents watched football. My dad, my uncles, they all watched football. So football was the first thing that I watched and loved. And then we went from football to baseball, baseball, basketball. And then of course I watched a lot of hockey, like in, you know, nineties, two thousands, early to, you know, 2010s. And then I kind of fell off of sports altogether for a while and just focused on building a business. Well, what is the difference in writing for sports? I mean, I, I've actually noticed even a difference across the different hockey. I love the snarky humor of hockey columnists that I haven't found in some of the other sports. Is Do you think there's a, a tone by different sports even? Yeah, I think every sports has its lingo. Every sports has its culture. Um, and so I think sports writers in different uh, aspects of sports can write to that culture or write to that audience because they know what the audience is looking for. They know what they're expecting to hear. Um, when I was covering sports, it was all high school sports, but I was covering like high school football. So when I did that, I spoke more like football-y masculine terms. And then when I covered girls basketball, it was a little, it was a little softer, but it was still very aggressive because girls basketball is pretty aggressive. It's really yeah, it is. To watch, actually. <laughs> but it was, it was a little softer than the stuff that you say to the boys because you can be a little harder on boys sports and you can critique the boys a lot harder than you can critique the girls. I, and I found out the hard way when I wrote a sports story that was just for the, for the girls basketball team. It mirrored how hard I was on the boys basketball team for not putting enough a defensive effort up against a rival school. And the girls were like in tears pretty much. <laughs> so it's a little bit different. It was a little, it was a little bit different. So I had to learn how to communicate, you know, oh, how, how do I speak girls basketball? And I learned how to do that. I thought you were going to say, and the girls tore me a new one. I'll never do that again. No, no. But the softball girls wrote, the softball girls loved when you're harder. They, they love that though. So the oh, basketball okay. girls and softball girls are completely different. And they're a different horse too. Like softball girls are like so much fun. I mean, they're very hyper competitive. So every sport has its own language, has its own way you talk to them. Uh, and so, yeah, like when you talk about the hockey lingo, that's that's all a part of it. My, my impression is that overall um, sports writing is a little less formal than um, than other news writing. Did you did you feel like that was the case that you could you know kind of say things that you wouldn't have been able to? I mean, maybe be a little less objective or maybe just phrase things differently. Less yeah. Formally. Yeah, yeah, you can get away with a little bit more like editorializing in sports. You can interject more of like your thought on the event or what happened there versus a news story. You can't, you cannot do any of that in a news story. You will get like yeah. written up for that one. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, news stories you have to be very matter of fact. You're completely removed from the from the event. Whereas sports, you're you can be part of the event a little more, and you can like and, and you can see that in the difference between uh, a sports writer's Twitter or a sports writer's Instagram versus a news writer's Twitter and a news writer's Instagram. You'll see it's like night and day. And they still get called out for the different things. But I wanted to move over to your blog a little bit. You had a really interesting line that I appreciate. I mean, I cut it out and said I wanted to ask you about it, about building mental muscles that train yourselves to write when there's no inspiration. And you can go to a game and there's always something you can write about. But what do you do when you say, I need to produce a blog or an episode or a podcast and I didn't dream about anything. I've got nothing. I am filled with ennui. The world is terrible. Where, where do you <laughs> kind of dig in deep to get those ideas? Yeah, that's that's what I will, you know, sometimes I'll take long walks and just let my mind wander. Um, sometimes it's going on to like pages like Quora or Reddit and seeing what people are talking about in writing circles, like some of the what difficulties writers are having, because people are very open about the stuff they struggle with online in terms of writing. So I'll hop on there, I'll hop on Twitter 
and just, you know, go to writing Twitter and just see, just look and see what things people are, are stuck on or what they're struggling with and say, okay, well, I think I can solve that. Or I think I can come up with somebody who can speak to that. And so that's, that's always been my approach to finding that inspiration that I need whenever I just didn't have it, you know, intrinsically. I like the looking for a problem because maybe, maybe if you don't have solutions, maybe you just need to go investigate what the problems are a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, that's what they say. They say entrepreneurs are problem solvers. That's what we do. And so that's, that's the, the, the whole mindset that I would take into it. Yeah, you, you also said something that was both beautiful and sad and fantastic. I think your quote is, there's no three-minute montage that works to make you a best-selling author. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like when you watch the movies. <laughs> You know, you watch like Rocky or you watch some of these like 80s, like Top Gun, where it's like, you know, they're they're struggling. They're having a horrible time. Then they have like the three minute training montage and all of a sudden life is better. And like as a writer, there's just none of that. Like as a writer, it's day in, day out. Find the inspiration. But I'm not one of those people who believes in just sitting behind the keyboard and just beating your head against the keys. I, I just feel like, OK, well, I typically what I typically do is I lay out my entire writing plan. I'm like, OK, well, if I can't write today, then can I research today? If I can't research today, then can I work on branding the thing that I'm working on? Like, what does it need from a marketing perspective down the road? If I can't do that either, then I start to think about, okay, well, is there some other component that I'm missing that, that, that I could add to this project? Or is there, is there someone else who can lend themselves to this? So I'm, I'm just always circularly thinking around the problem. And nope, nope, I've never had it where I've just been you know, batting zero. Like if I can't write it, of course, I'll figure out how to market that day. Or if I can't market, I'll figure out what research needs to be done. So I'm always figuring out a way to move in the project. So the project is never, ever stagnant. I love that you bring up the marketing part so early. It, it feels like there are people that talk about, we've had a little bit of discussion here on platform and branding, et cetera, but who you're writing for, who's your audience, who are you, you know, all of that seems to be something that people want to consider just as early as when they're thinking about, am I going to try to go self-publishing versus traditional publishing? And do I just Twitter post every day about buy my book? I mean, there's so much to think about in terms of marketing in there. Yeah, no, there is. I'm a firm believer that marketing is one of the first things you do. Uh, so every, every time I take on a, a writing project or whether I'm working with a client or myself or whatever, I always write a full synopsis, top to bottom. I don't. I won't even write. I, I'm not a pantser at all. I will not write a thing without knowing where it's going to go because I think that's the most important thing. One, I have to know the end game. Who's this going to? What do they want from me? What sort of problems? What can I can I address in the writing? So I'm always looking uh, to how to market a product first because there's nothing worse than shelf death when you sat there and you've not thought about marketing because you love writing so much and you write and you write and you write, you produce a book and you have no idea who you're giving it to. You have no idea who you're speaking to. It's like, Oh, I wrote a book on fantasy. There's lots of people who love fantasy, but it's like that old, that old ad is, you know, that if everybody's your audience, nobody's your audience. Right. And so do you ever have to, to think about like somebody says, Hey, Chris, what should I do with this? And do you have to read it to say, you know, I really think this might be YA or, hey, your synopsis, that's, is that one book or three books? I mean, how do you, how do you guide people to do that? Because I saw that you do some editorial and, and coaching work. Yeah, well, that's, that's what we start. We start with that. We start with who's your, who's your avatar? Who are you writing to? Like, who's your audience? Where did you find those people? Do you know where they are? Because you can't sell invisibly. You don't know if you can't figure out and target and pinpoint who you're selling to, you're not going to sell any books. So where are they? Are they hanging out, you know, depending on which you're hanging, are they hanging out in business circles? Are they hanging out in creative circles? 
where are your people? Because we got to target, we got to figure out where they're at and start talking to them there now, um, letting them know that, hey, this is what's coming. This is, you know, we're working on this particular project. It's, I'm excited about it. I can't wait to put it in your hands. And then we start developing things like email, like, okay, well, how are you going to get it to them? What are the ways we can get it to them? We got email lists. Are there podcasts that we can get on? So we start developing the media list very, very early into the game. Um, we start thinking about things like, um, like design, like, you know, okay, well, what's trending in design? Like, let's go to Barnes and Noble and just look around at covers and see what's trending in your genre. If your genre is using, you know, just single, like for a long time in nonfiction, it was just like, you know, bold serif fonts with single images. Uh, now it's like more color, like more color-based covers. So looking at all those variables and factors, because I feel like all of that stuff, it's a part of the creative process. And I think, you know, just writing is one part of the process, but all that stuff together, oh man, it's it's special. Trying to make about what what's up with this whole women silhouettes walking in a wintry landscape? <laughs> Who the heck made that possible? <laughs> How can we be yeah, yeah. It's funny. Like when you start looking at cover trends, you're like like a couple of years ago it was like the whole like you know like chalk dust explosion on the covers where everyone had one of those covers where it looked like there's yeah. some sort of chalk dust explosion. And then it went from that, I guess, to the single image, or then it went like to the fantasy stuff where they've got like just it's so busy. But then they have these beautiful titles in the middle. So it's yeah, it's 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 all cyclical, but it's a matter of just okay, what's trending? You know, how do how do you fit in? Because it's like I think a lot of times authors want to be exclusive, like they want to be different. And it's like, don't be different for the sake of being different. Be the same because then you get you that 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 lowers your barrier of entry. And then you, you know, you put stuff into people's hands that's very familiar to them. Because if it's something unfamiliar to them, the chances of them reading it isn't as great as giving them something that's very familiar to them. This is great advice. What are your thoughts on the very common in one genre, but not in others, the similar names thing, which in romance, of course, is Bounty's Passion, Bounty's Hope, <laughs> um, yeah, Bounty, Bounty's Bosom, Bounty's Pendulums, whatever. Bounty picker upper, you know. <laughs> yeah, as far as far as naming, like naming's difficult. Um I think I, I tend to I tend to advise authors to name at the end. I was like, you, you can have a working title, a great working title, but try to name it at the end because I think the book lends itself to that. The, the book will ultimately name itself. I'm a firm believer of that. And so, uh, as far as the common names are using the same names over again, I'm I don't know. I'm really not. I'm not sure because I, I haven't really run into that, so it's hard for me to speak to that. I would avoid it just because of because of search engine confusion. That would be the thing that I would avoid it for, because with Good a search point. engine, if you go inside of Amazon and you type in bounties, whatever, you're going to get every single one of those. So trying to find a way to differentiate by name is, is pretty well, smart. Well, you can, you can put something in that's unique along with bounty, though, right? I mean, you could, ideally, yeah, you, you, you totally, ideally, you, you totally you've got something that's differentiable for search engine purposes anyway, something that's differentiable, but something that's going to get picked up in the, in the zeitgeist. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think I'm a um, firm believer of that. Yeah. So I, I start with the title first and then go on from mm -hmm. there, but, but I usually don't get past the title. So I think your advice is better. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, the book, the, sometimes the entire book itself changes as you write it. So yeah, it's, it's books, books, you know, it's yeah. funny. I used to, I used to, I used to laugh like when a nonfiction author would tell me like the characters talk to them or they have conversations with characters in the shower, the bathroom, in the car. But, you know, the reality is that I think that does kind of happen. Like as books evolve and develop, they tell you what they are. They tell you, hey, I'm a personal development book about this because you'll be starting in one direction. Then you find yourself in a completely different direction because the, the voice changes or something happens to it or new information presents itself to you. 
And the same thing with the title. I think with the title, same same thing. Once you get to the end of the book, you realize, man, the title I had didn't quite work for this book, but now I've got something better because my book had a different, a completely different title when I started than what it ended with. And the, and, a, and it had a different it had a different synopsis with it too. But then it just evolved into something else as I wrote as I continued to write the book. And you did have a, a way when you talk about sniping the market and picking your target audience. You you had a good way of expressing that like your Twitter feed isn't really just about you and isn't just about writing. Like you made it interesting and makes me want to read all the things. And I, I think you have a quote up there somewhere. Be the social media feed that eats someone's whole morning. That was magnificent. <laughs> I'm not sure that was my quote. It might be a different there's so many Chris Joneses. <laughs> it might have some that you that you that you pulled off of yeah. somebody else's yeah. writing. You sent me quite down perhaps, saying, like, quite perhaps I've tweeted a whole lot, so it could it could absolutely be. Well, but, that's what it did. I went down the mouse yeah. hole <laughs> after your arrow got to frolic around in there because you you do more than just saying I need to do hashtag writing hashtag you know my yeah. book that yeah. to your because in a way what you're really talking about a platform of selling people on you, not just a hypothetical story that may or may not be done yet. That's exactly right. I mean, people. People buy you. That doesn't matter what that is. Like when people think of selling, they think of it as this really dirty word. Like, oh, I don't want to sell somebody something. I don't want to sell this. And it's like, why are you writing the book if you don't want to sell it? Like that makes no, like to me, that's never made any sense where authors will say, yeah, I just don't want to sell it. I just want it to sell itself. And it's like, well, sell. Why don't you sell you? Like be, show your personality. Show who you are as an author. Show some behind the scenes things. Show how you came up with things. Do a little live on how you came up with the cover. Involve your audience. You know, I, I always tell authors, involve your audience. Like if you have a cover designed, take your they take the four thumbnails that you get from your designer and and share it with your email list or share it on Facebook or wherever you want and say, hey, can you guys tell me what cover resonates with you? But find ways to engage with your people. Like and yeah, don't make it just, you know, social about just, hey, I'm writing today. Hey, I wrote a thousand words today. Share quotes from the book, share, you know, find ways to just make it dynamic and engaging. And I always tell people as well to engage with others. You know, you don't know who's going to, who your potential reader will be. So engage with other people, you know, go to them. You also said a good lesson that you had to learn and tell us about your learning of when you said you wrote it, you love it, but it's now in the hands of an editor, an agent, it's now commercial and your feelings no longer matter quite so much. How do you, how do you counsel them through that? Yeah, I think I, I, I was speaking this weekend and I was speaking to students about writing. I said, the thing you have to learn about writing is divorce. Like the minute that the minute you've put the end on that book and you revised it and now you're ready to go into the market with something, you've got to divorce all your feelings from the book. You've got to take yourself out of the equation and say, OK, this is for somebody else. Now I go from being an author to being the publisher and you know the publicist so that's it's a completely different role the publicist you know the, the publisher and the publicist have different interests vested in the book on a on a professional level and so you need to have that same exact mindset that that's who i have to be when i'm sharing my book with people i'm not getting my feelings hurt over the fact that no one's buying it i'm trying to figure out why they don't want it and how do i get them to want it am i doing something wrong or i need to go find out well who whose show can i get on for this or you know who can i speak to about the book where can i do some some speaking about the book but you've got to start thinking like the publisher thinking like the agent 
where where would they take the book? Where would they go with the book? You know, how hard would they push the book? But don't, but yeah, tr- don't get caught up in your in your feelings about reviews that you get or whether people like it. I mean, a lot of people get hung up on the one star thing. That's something that, that was like reoccurring on Twitter, and I posted about that once. Where I was like, don't get hung up on the one star. Like the one star is probably your best friend. Like if people give me people give you fives because it's just like when you tell people, like when people ask you to do something all the time, and they say yes, yeah, sure, yeah. They don't want to say yeah. They just want to be polite. And it's the same thing with the five star. Yeah, people may like the book. Some people just give you five stars because they. They read the book and they acknowledge that writing is hard, but it's that one five star I care about the most because that person is going to be honest. That person is going to tell me what didn't work. And that's what I want to hear. I want to know what didn't work in my book so I can fix that for the next time. Yeah. And the, uh, the, the strongest reviews are the ones that somebody felt something uh, yeah. strong about it. Strongest emotions are the one star and the five star reviews. Well, five stars, but you, you, you bring up a good point. People get five star reviews all the time. It's kind of an inflation scenario, but, the, but the one stars, they're feeling something strong about it for sure. And <laughs> they want to let you know, but that, and that's the thing is that you read the whole book. That's, a, that's all, that's all I really care about at the end of the day. You read the entire book. You gave me a one star, but you read it. And that's all, that's what I need to know. Even if you didn't, even if you said, I, I put this down after the first page, I couldn't stand it. What was you couldn't stand about it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought there was a moment of saying, I wonder if it's like other parts of marketing, for instance, in product marketing and tech marketing, we look at, say, things like, I can't convince five-star and one-star people anything. They feel what they feel. I'm trying to figure out how I can move the needle from two stars to three stars and three stars to four stars. How do I... How do I make somebody love it more and feed those needs? Because the lovers and haters, I'm not sure you can do that much about. No, no. You just take it as, you know, as constructive feedback. Like you just write them on the ant review and say, hey, look, I'm, you know, I'm intrigued to know why you rated my book as a one star. Was there something that was missing? Was there something that wasn't working for you? I'd love to improve upon it. Would you mind sharing with me? Here's an email address. You can tell me all you want or we can call or whatever or however you want to reach out and let me know. But I'd love to hear. And I think just people, because people do, people love to tell you, they want to give you feedback. People yeah. want to feel like that, they, like you cared and you, while you cared enough to like write me and ask me that as opposed to call me a troll. So I think, I think that matters to people. I, I think you have a great attitude, but you are going against the advice of a number of other writers, because frankly, you're, you're not taking this personal. There's a, a huge amount of writers who say never engage with the reviews and you're mining them for improvements for your next book. So it goes back to what you said. You've written the book. You're done. You're a publicist now. It's not your baby anymore. And uh, wow, that is fantastic. Thanks. I also was thinking you had a quote, and I don't know if you stole the quote from somebody else in one of your writings. It said, always have a bias towards action. And that I thought spoke very well for how do you keep your book moving along? Yeah, yeah. I, I got that from my friend, Mark. My friend, Mark, is a he's a he calls him his, he dubs the coach who coaches coaches and he coaches coaches. That's what he does. And so um, Mark, Mark always says that, yeah, I have a bias towards action. I was like, yeah, I like that a lot. And so, you know, I, I use that a lot, you know, have a, have a bias towards action. Just don't be passive about your work. Always think about where can my work go next? What can I do with it next? There's something more that I can be doing. Uh, Cause I feel like a lot of the times we, we give up before we, you know, like that whole thing, we give up three feet before we hit gold. So it's like, what else can I do with this book? Like, where haven't I taken it? Where haven't I gone with it? Uh, what audience? I mean, because I think with a lot of books, particularly nonfiction, which is where I work mostly, what happens is 
you look at the book and you look at your particular subject matter, like almost gospel. You don't look at all the underlying stuff that goes in there. So if you write a book about business, well, what other subsets does that fit under? Like, can you speak business? Can you talk general business? Are you talking business to nonprofits? Are you talking business to various other sectors? So what other sectors can you tap indirectly with your book? And so being, being able to think about your book, not just from the direct audience approach, but who are all my indirect people that I haven't thought about tapping to, to check out this book or to have me speak or whatever the case may be. Cause there are so many subsets within many books and authors don't really dive deep, sorry, deep dive into that. I mean, so I tell authors, look at your chapters, like who, who else are you addressing in chapters, you know, two through 10 apart from your main audience, who else can benefit from your book and then go find those people. And it, it does create going back to that idea then of like, who do you want your readers to be? We had a lovely chat with a gentleman who kind of figured out that he wrote cozy mystery and cozy romances. And he said, yeah, I go to bookstores and um, my most of my audience are older women. And he says, I engage with them and I love them and uh, they know that I love them. And so they create that relationship. And I think that relates back to the not only just knowing your audience, but letting them know you in a real and and very real way, in both in your marketing and in your letting yourself be out there because if all of your characters are one dimension or another of you or somebody you know i write dave all the time hi dave <laughs> hi genie but, but all you write about is horrible people no, no, so, I, I also murder people let's get what's important here well, you know, right, yes, I'm victim but, number three but let's time. get back speaking of murder i have a stupid question for our guest uh you talked about not and you have I, I think I have to get through 99 more of your episodes before I'm out. So, you know, not <laughs> updating your podcast for a moment here, but you, you updated till last month and oh my God, it's wonderful. Are you still accepting new authors for coaching? Are you still looking for books? What has that changed at all? At the moment, everything is pretty much on a hiatus. Like I'm on a hiatus from all that right now until I get things like fully settled in, in the new roles that I'm in and the new kind of stuff. like the new season i'm in and then once i've once i've like fully acclimated to that and understand you know all the things i have to do with that then i'll kind of slowly move back into those sort of things i've got a book that i'm currently working with right now so i've got one client that i'm still working with who i've carried over but at the moment not right now and i can't say exactly when i'll be taking clients again but 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 it's something that will it's something that will come full circle again would you advise them what I would advise them, which is if you have a moment, go look through your podcasts because you cover so much wonderful material uh, or buy your book, one or the other. I, I go with a podcast myself, but I'm cheap. Yeah, it, it, yeah it, all, it all depends. Yeah, it all depends on how you learn. If you're a person who needs to read, then yeah, definitely read the book. Uh, if you're someone who wants to, to listen to the shows, listen to the shows. But yeah, they, I mean, there's so much in there from how to market children's books to marketing regular books to marketing fiction books, uh, how to do PR interviews. I mean, it's, there, there is a lot of information. I I have just had a wonderful time talking to so many different people, uh, so many different authors from different walks and it's a blast, but yeah, I think there's so much information that authors can learn from it. I also liked your, when you're thinking about the, the sniping the market, there always comes up the question of new genres. Like recently I've discovered that I simply adore cozy fantasy or people that add a little bit of comedy to their political commentary or comic horror. David Wong's, this book is full of spiders and John dies at the end. I, I simply adore them because yes, it's horror, but I giggle all the way through it. 
and you can't time the market. So what do you tell people about forging their own path and forging their own way? Oh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You cannot time it. Yeah, you, you have to, in terms of forging your own way, you, you have to do what's natural to you first. You know, if, if you're a very introverted person, and you don't want to be in front of people, figure out how to figure out how to sell your book and promote your book without getting in front of people. If you love being in front of people, get in front of people, you know, find that, find that vein. Like, who do I, who do I need to talk to to become a speaker or to be, or to get on someone's YouTube live cast or an Instagram reel, but the market, the market's all arbitrary. You just find out, you know, what trends are happening. If you're, if you're trying to write the trends, you're trying to write to sort, like if you're nonfiction, trying to write the trends, figure out, well, the two main things you always have to remember is like leadership and change. If you're writing nonfiction, like how do you talk about modern leadership and how do you talk about changing times? And then you can just build your entire book, no matter what you write around those things and you'll do just fine. Um, And so as far as fiction goes, fiction with, with fiction, I find that fiction, you can't go wrong with romance, thriller, and mystery. Those things, I have a book festival, and those people sell more than anybody else. And on festivals and local things, that's something that we haven't really talked about. Every single state, though, somewhere in the state seems to have a award. Do you, How do you coach people to like start looking for things of saying, not just marketing your work to your end readers, but to, hey, this festival or this contest, why not just go ahead and submit them? Do you have any good pointers or websites you like to send people to? Uh, not for contests per se, but um, as far as like festivals, I'm a firm, I mean, like I, said, I have a book festival. So I'm very much a firm believer in going to festivals because that's where you're going to find readers. That's where people are just going to be. So whether it's going to book festivals, whether it's going to comic cons, uh, which also have a lot of authors, uh, being in front of people is the best thing you can do for your book. Uh, whether and and I always tell people don't focus on selling the book. The book will the, if the book is great, it'll sell. So people will pick it up, they'll touch it, they'll grab it, they'll go. But focus on building relationships. Like get email addresses because then once you, if, if someone buys the book, if they don't capture the email address, because then you've got them long term as opposed to someone who comes buys the book, you say hi, you say bye, and you never know if you're gonna. You never know if you're going to see that person again or hear from that person again. But as long as you grab their email address at those events, you know, you stand the chance to always be able to to market to them on their, you know, on their permission. And I was going to ask, originally I'd written down for myself to say what was the most common piece of advice or guidance you'd given. But I kind of want to turn that around say, what was one of the best things anybody ever said to you that just hit you like a super saturated bit of crystal? My friend Jason, like when I when I was pondering starting my podcast, I just kept having these false starts and I just couldn't get it to go. And then I finally got an episode done and I was like, oh man, I was like, this is this didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. And he's like, he said, uh, is the information good? I said, Yeah, the information is great. And he said, So what was the issue? And I said, Well, just, I don't know, I'm just having a hard time with this audio. He said, Well, don't focus on the technical aspect, just pump it out, man. He said, it's better, it's, it's better just to get it out and give it to people and let them decide how they feel about it instead of you worrying about how people are going to receive it and in your mind thinking that people aren't going to like it. You don't know because you can't be other people. So just give it to them and let them decide and say nothing. And that's what I started doing. And lo and behold, my podcast completely started turning around and got a lot better because I stopped overanalyzing whether people would like the quality of the work or not. Love it. All right. One last question here, because I'm running out of time with you. Collaboration. You wrote a book with somebody. Tell us about the tools of the process. Is this 
Did you send things back and forth? Do you Google Docs? I mean, just the nuts and bolts. Give me some of the details of how you best work with people. Yeah. So for me, I really leaned on the journalism that I have. So what we did was uh, we sat there and developed a chapter outline. So we developed a full-on chapter outline about the things we wanted to talk about. And so prior to each week, I would write deeper questions. And then we would do the interviews over the phone and I would record them. Uh, and then I would take those recordings and I would order transcripts. And I would take those transcripts and start dissecting those transcripts. And then we would start to flesh out a story based on all the, all the content. So, I mean, we would talk for maybe an hour, hour and a half, some days I'd get the transcripts, look at those transcripts, and then we would just uh, put the story together based on that. And then if there's other details we wanted, we put it together, but that was the process. And we just went back and forth with uh, word documents. I would just have, I had a Dropbox. And so I would just have the Dropbox open and I would say, Hey, look, if you want to look in the Dropbox, I've got a bunch of documents in there for you to look at, take a look at some of the stuff we got in there. And she would go, she would look at it, make her revision, send it back to me. And we just go back and forth that way. I like it. I haven't thought of Dropbox before, but Transcription Hub is a great idea. I mean, they're the ones I use for almost everything anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps you. It keeps you from, you know, misquoting or making mistakes. It's just, it, it, and for me, in collaborating, transcription allows me to pay all my full attention to the person. So I'm not writing while they're talking and missing critical details, which tends to happen. So I just talk, let it record, and then I've got it all. Are you working on anything right now? So right now I'm not working on anything. Um, I've got a couple of like book synopsises that I need to get through. I'm working on a couple of proposals. So I've got to get through those uh, and then decide which one I really like the most. So I got two different ones. So I'm just going to write them out fully and just kind of put them next to each other and see which one I want to, I want to jump into first. So I'm probably looking at probably sometime in the next several months, decide, you know, finishing those up and choosing what to do with, you know, either one. I love it. I love it. Well, we'll put links to both your website and your podcast and the other interesting ideas we talked about on our website, which is www.ridersdrinkingcoffee.com. Chris, this has been great. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a great time. Art and Business of Writing, book and podcast, everybody should run out. And if you want to be a writer, buy it right away. It's fantastic. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spiders are David Welsh and John Schmidt. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. Our podcast sponsor is Jackal Designs and Arm Street. Fighting over in Ukraine. Go Ukraine. And hey, thanks for listening. 